Hey everybody, happy new year and welcome to another episode of F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com, movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley and I'm joined for our very special annual rundown of the overrated, the underrated, and the ugly films of 2019 by Baby New Year, JB. It's the end of the year. And I'm still alive. Yes, you are. Uh, happy 2020. What a way to kick off our 10th year of F This Movie. Yes. I was just thinking about that this morning. OMG. I was looking in the mirror and I said, you know, when we started this crazy caravan, <laughs> I was in my early 20s. Yeah. I had flowing blonde hair. I remember it. I was, uh, a Jamaican, I was a Jamaican woman. I remember. And things change. Things a lot. As David Mamet. A lot of things have changed. Things have changed. <laughs> um, so this is uh, one of my favorite shows to do every year because we get to talk about a lot of movies and, and put some movies on people's radar. Um, as I mentioned, you know, we do talk about what the whole overrated thing. Yes, and we should address this because... We've been saying this for years. We might... Well, we're stuck in our ways, and we're not going to change it. But Right. It's called what it's called. Earlier this week, Owen Gleiberman published an article in Variety, uh, and clearly, to each his own, the farmer said, sure. as he kissed his cow, but it was 10 overrated films, and I wasn't the only one whose jaw dropped, because the reaction was sort of, well, there's at least four masterpieces yeah. on that list. Yeah. I don't get it. Although, back when he wrote for Entertainment Weekly, and I subscribe, this is going way back, his opinions confounded me on a regular basis. He once said that the remake of Lord of the Flies was better than the original. Sure. He I named Oh Brother, Where Art Thou as the worst movie of 2000. I don't get it. I don't remember his reason. My guess is it's in color. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was a ridiculous list, and it started the whole conversation again about overrated lists and what function do they serve. And that, that's true. We've been saying for years that ours aren't so much overrated. We're going to call it overrated because that's what we call the show, but like it's always just been, I didn't get it. We don't get it. Yeah. Um, so it's not you're wrong for liking it, which is the implication of an overrated moniker. Because on Gleiberman's list, not to pick it a scab... He included um, Under the Skin, mm -hmm. which I still remember when it came out, you were fairly obsessed by it. Yeah, I watched it like every night. You watched it a bunch of times. <laughs> yeah. And um, no overrated film would have that effect on P. Bromley. Uh, I don't that think so. That just wouldn't happen. I don't think so. So it's either this movie's fascinating or you're obsessed with Scarlett Johansson. Uh, you know. Both can be true. Um, so we're going to talk about underrated movies. We're going to talk about movies we didn't get, and we'll talk about some movies we just flat out did not like. Right. And clearly, if it's underrated, you really need to add it to your list because in a lot of cases, these were surprises, um, stuff that I wasn't expecting to see, wasn't expecting to like. And in some cases, and obviously this can be skewed too, I'm surprised that a lot of these films very quickly dropped out of the mm, conversation, mm -hmm. that people stopped talking about them two weeks after they left the And it excites me a little bit more to talk about these movies because, as we were just saying before we pressed record, our top tens are all going to be the same this year. 
Yes. We all have the same top 10 list. It's the same top 10 list that you've seen everywhere. Uh, and so I expect more variety from these lists than I do from next week's show. A very great man, a friend of the site, uh, posted his list to Twitter this morning. And I was looking at it and I said, oh, that's my list. So right. there you go. Right, exactly. Uh, so let's start with the underrated movies because it's always fun to talk about those more so than uh, the other kinds of movies. Jay Bones, what is the first movie on your underrated list? Well, I'll tell you. Okay, thank you. I was real excited to see this, so it wasn't as if it was flying under my personal radar. I remember seeing the trailer and thinking, why hasn't anyone thought of this before? The film is Crawl. Ah, yes. And you want to talk about something that delivers on its premise, something that goes places. Quibble, some people might have some problems with some of the things the film does with stakes, but um, I was not aware of where it was filmed. I thought they did a real good job yeah. convincing yeah. me that this was Florida, yeah. although Southern Florida might be easy to fake on a soundstage. Uh, someone... Earlier this week was talking about how Barry Pepper, um, when he first burst on the scene in Saving Private Ryan, should have been a bigger star, and yet he continues to do this incredible work, and he's incredible in it. It's a great premise. It's such a scary <laughs> movie. Um, what's the word? I don't want to give anything away, but some of the damage the alligators wreak I was not expecting. It was, It was. oh, they went there. Um, and someone was just singing this film's praises just recently. Quentin Tarantino named it like one of his best movies of the year. Yeah, he put it on like his- maybe his number two. He put it on his 10 best list, and far be it for me to disagree with Tarantino, but Crawl is so much fun. I can see that being a perennial October watch. Sure. I've seen it on a lot of- um top horror lists for the year and, and we'll do ours in a couple of weeks heather and i will do ours um but yeah a lot of people doing their best horror movies of 2019 have named crawl one of the things that i so appreciated about crawl was the fact that it took the 15 minutes or whatever you need to establish the characters and their relationship and there's some dramatic stakes between them before the alligators show up just a little bit of basic screenwriting that says hey what if you actually gave a shit because otherwise which so many movies don't do especially movies that are just sort of high concept simple premise like this which otherwise is, there's just playing pieces to be kicked over which is so many movies oh, especially yeah. 200 million dollar blockbuster movies and i thought the way the filmmakers chose to make us care about the characters I think is something that's going to speak to a lot of people. Yeah. Because you you can't go wrong talking about family stuff. It's a small movie done very, very well. Um, it's so much fun. Yeah. it's It, it is a great deal of fun. Uh, my first underrated pick is one that we were just talking about uh, before we pressed record, and I had teased it in a column that posted today because Adam – Risky uh, singled out Rosa Salazar's performance in Alita Battle Angel, which was a movie that Twitter had a really good time dunking on. It was the it was the the stepchild to beat up uh, before like cats, I guess. Uh, yes. 
uh, because... It was Alita's turn in the barrel. The trailer came out, and the effect is weird-looking. Yes. You know, it's that sort of uncanny valley. Why did they go with this look? And Robert Rodriguez uh, takes a lot of shit and is not a particularly well-respected director. James Cameron takes a lot of shit, and he's a producer and a writer on the film. So there were all these reasons to make fun of it. And then it came out, and it actually did, I think decent business i think it made almost a hundred million dollars and i didn't see it quietly but the people who did seem to have liked well that was the thing it it came out and suddenly people were like oh wait a second this is actually good um and it is i didn't catch up with it until blu-ray i didn't go see it in the theater i remember adam risky going to see it last february and singing its praises and i didn't catch up with it till blu-ray but again we have this sort of high concept science fiction. It gets a little bogged down in like world building and setting up not a direct sequel, but there's things that come up that it's like, well, if we do another one, we'll get to this stuff. There's in particular, there's a cameo near the end of the film that makes no goddamn sense unless they do a sequel. Um, the children are very excited about Alita Battle Angel. They are big fans. Charlie actually did watch it and really liked it. Um, yeah. Um, really good action, some good science fiction stuff, some good world building. And again, just very basic. James Cameron does this very well. He knows the beats of a movie. He knows how movies should work. And so having him on as producer, I think, results in the best Robert Rodriguez movie in many, many years. Um and it's a movie that feels a lot bigger than I suspect it was. I know that the trailer didn't do the film any favors because I saw the trailer boatloads of times. And I thought the trailer made it look like the sequel to Ready Player One. It sure. looked very much that, yeah. cut from the same cloth. Yeah, I could see that. But I have yet to hear from or talk to anyone who didn't like it. Yeah. So I'm certainly putting that on my list. Yeah. My second underrated film is a film I have talked about on this podcast way too much. <laughs> it may have come out in 2018, but I'm fairly sure it oh opened boy. in 2019 okay. in the in these United States. Okay. Uh, the film is called All is True. It's the Kenneth Branagh film. Oh, yes. I remember you talking about this. In which he plays Shakespeare. And thanks to uh, pay-per-view, I got to see it again. Oh. So now I've seen it twice. And I wasn't wrong. Because my wife is never wrong. And the second time I saw it, we watched it together, and she agreed, there's something here. It's a very small film, but it's worth it if only for the Ian McKellen performance. He plays the Earl of Southampton. He has one scene. Which is now my title. (laughs) He has one scene in the movie, and it's amazing how that scene runs the gamut from you think, oh, here's what these two men are discussing, and it turns out they're discussing something very different. And it reminds me very much of Cats. And I know all of you the second time Cats has come up already. I know all... Well, Cats is very important this year (laughs) for any number of reasons. Um, I know all of you listening read my fascinating column yesterday about Cats, and Ian McKellen does the exact same thing in Cats. He waltzes in. He Dressed has one, as a cat? He is a cat. He's Gus the theater cat. His full name in is... In All is True, I'm saying. His full name is... No, I told you. In All is True, he's right. the Earl of Southampton. Dressed as a cat? No. Uh, I'm not following. In Cats, he's Gus 
the theater cat, Got full it. name Asparagus, because we need to be twee. But <sighs> Ian, I McKellen, I can do Ian McKellen walks, waltzes into Cats. <clears throat> He's in it for about five minutes. It's the most amazing scene, seeing this old pro say, now this does not look good. <laughs> But I've figured out a way hmm. to make it tremendously <laughs> entertaining. Remember, I played Magneto. Hmm. Um, <laughs> his scene is, you, you sit there and you're like, imagine if the whole movie hmm. worked as well. Now, obviously, it can't be the same because the nature of the film is all these cats waltz on screen and introduce themselves for 90 minutes. He certainly doesn't have the best song. He doesn't really sing it. It's kind of a Richard Burton thing. Mm-hmm. But it. But damn it, you're like, oh, I, uh, I guess that's why he was knighted. <laughs> um, it's incredible. And back to All is True, um, film is beautiful to look at, great performances. Judy Dench is in All is True. You don't say. Judy Dench is also in Cats. <laughs> and um, it has a lot to say about retiring. The film is about Shakespeare retiring. And I had just retired. Yeah. And I can tell you, it's not Falderall and lip service and crap. It's fairly weighty things about what it means to stop doing the thing that you're known for. I recommend it so highly. And is this out on like DVD and Blu-ray now, or is it just on VOD? I know it's on VOD, because that's okay. how I saw it the second time. I am not aware of a disc release. Okay. And how does it compare to Anonymous? Well, for those of you who are handy with the search box, I wrote a column about Anonymous. In the early days. Very early days. Of the site. Um, And uh, obviously I'm biased because I was an English teacher. I taught Shakespeare. Anonymous is just... I mean, not only is it a bad movie, but its premise is... Beneath contempt. Mm. Um, So it does not compare at all to Anonymous (laughs) in any way other than the fact that there's – well, actually, the Earl of Southampton as a character is in both movies, but it's – no. Anonymous is Shakespeare didn't write his plays, right? Shakespeare didn't write his plays because those could only have been uh, written by someone in the upper class. What my movie presupposes is maybe he didn't. I would like to see a film. <laughs> Maybe this will be the first F this movie movie. Oh, it's about time. The theme, the thesis, the supposition is Shakespeare did not write any of his famous plays. The plays were written by cats. I like this. Rum Tum Tugger. Cats from the future. <laughs> future cats. <laughs> Was your screening of cats crowded? Well, I'll tell you. Because this, this I found fascinating. What would be a really interesting screening of Cats to go to? I know whenever I go, I'll have my choice of seat. Uh, another friend of the site tweeted a video of the theater. I, I, I really wish I could remember who this was to give them credit for this. They went on opening night, and they were alone. Oh, goodness. It was a 360-degree pan of the empty theater. So I chose to go at 8.30 in the morning. (laughs) 8.30 a.m. Holy shit. 
Uh, there were five other people. Okay. Yeah. That's not I bad. Was, I was very surprised yeah. by that. And they all stayed till the end. Good. Good, good, good. Uh, my next uh, underrated pick is a movie that I saw at the Chicago Critics Film Festival. Uh, and it's a movie by a director named Riley Stearns. It's called The Art of Self-Defense. Mm-hmm. And it stars Jesse Eisenberg as sort of a meek, uh, put-upon young man who decides to sign up for some karate classes taught by Alessandro Nivola. Um, and he begins to transform into a very aggressive asshole. And there's a turn that the movie takes about halfway when he starts the night class. He gets he gets promoted to night class. And the turn that the movie takes for night class is amazing and makes this one of the year's best dark comedies. Has a lot to say about, you know, what we refer to now consistently as toxic masculinity. Um, Alessandro Nivola's performance is one that I pointed out in that column that I wrote with Adam Risky because he's incredibly funny. The movie is very, very dark and very, very good and came out. I mean, it played in multiplexes. It wasn't just a super limited release. I remember it playing at the AMC near us and nobody went and nobody talked about it. And it's just this movie that sort of quickly disappeared into obscurity, but it's really good and deserves attention. And I was reading the column about great performances and I got to the Alessandro Nivola part yeah. and that I went, aha, because he's been on my radar for a really, really long time. And this will come to me or you will tell me what it is. Mm. Speaking of Kenneth Branagh, mm. he's in a Kenneth Branagh film that's criminally underrated. Kenneth Branagh took one of Shakespeare's lesser known comedies. Give me till the end of the podcast. It'll occur to me. Uh, stuffed it with uh, star performances and made it into a musical. Yeah, it's the one with Alicia Silverstone. Um, um, God damn it. And <laughs> not all's well that ends well. Why can't it? No, it's not measure for measure. No. It's not Twelfth Night. It's Just talk and I'll find it. So I had never heard. Could neither one of us come up with this? I had never heard of Alessandro Nivola. But he's in this film, which we will have the title of, and half the people listening to the podcast are now shouting the name of the film uh, into their laptops. And my introduction to him was as a man who was very adept at singing and dancing because he does an awful lot of it in that film. He plays the prince, and he and his buddies decide they're going to swear off women, they're going to swear off strong drink, they're going to spend the next four years studying and doing nothing else. That's the plot. And then the Princess of France, I believe, shows up. That's Alicia Silverstone. She's got three beautiful friends with her, and the vow goes out the window. Uh-uh. That, that's sort of the theme of the film. Love's labor's lost. Love. Loves Labor's Lost. So Nivola's in it, Bran is in it, Matthew Lillard's in it, and he sings and dances wonderfully. And Alicia Silverstone um, is the princess, and in her little uh, her little court is Emily Mortimer and um, other um, actresses that you're not used to seeing sing and dance. And then um, Nathan Lane shows up and does a turn as Costard, and Timothy Spall shows up. 
way different than you've ever seen him in anything. And it's terrific, and no one's seen it. And Alessandro Nivola, that was the first time I ever saw him in a movie, and he's excellent in that. Okay. He can do it all. Yeah. He's really, really good in the art of self-defense. I think there was a TV show that was on for a long time that he was on as like like a mayor or something. Okay. I think that's what he's been doing. He's in a ton of stuff. Yeah. He but, works. Yeah. Um, I think you would like the art of self-defense a lot. It sounds like I would. Yeah. Now, you saw it at the Critics Festival. Yes. It did get a release. Yeah. It played, like, wide. Yeah. I... I wonder why. But I, I didn't think it see came it. out in the summer and just nobody went. I mean, oh, well, there you go. Why didn't I see it? Because I was busy seeing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood seven times. Imagine the six movies I could have seen yeah. if I wasn't momentarily obsessed with that. My next pick for underrated is a lukewarm underrated. Mm. I'm still on the fence. Mm. The film does so much right, you wish it would do the other half right. I'll take it. And comedies have become such a stinkhole that any comedy with any sort of ambition, you got to give an A for effort. The film is called Late Night. All right. And it's the Mindy Kaling, <laughs> Emma Thompson film. Yeah. I'm not saying it's perfect, yeah. but it is about something. Yeah. Although you can argue she's the longest-running talk show host in American history. She's a woman. This film must be science fiction. <laughs> but what it has to say about falling into a rut and not being able to get out, all of the stuff in the film between Emma Thompson and John Lithgow, her husband, yeah. is fantastically well-observed. Yeah. Um, her relationship with her writers, they actually create different personalities for the writers. Um not the greatest film on earth, right? But it sort of came out and was around for a week or two, and then disappeared. I think it's an Amazon production, yeah. yeah. And it's on Prime now for those of you who want to watch it. It's worth watching. It's, it's worth two hours, <laughs> yeah. And um, again, the good stuff only points at how much better you want it to be. It almost tries to do too much, and so underserves everything, yeah. Because there's a again a turn three quarters of the way through the movie with the Emma Thompson and John Lithgow stuff. And it's very well done. And the two of them are so good. But like, it's almost why like, can't that be the whole movie? But also what's it doing in this movie? It also suffers from, we need to come up with a name for this phenomenon that sometimes when you're looking at a fictionalized version of reality, they will introduce something from reality and you'll wonder, sure. uh, I'm thinking of the film Grace of My Heart, where clearly... Right. Uh, Great movie. Ileana uh, Douglas is supposed to sort of be Carol King, and um, Matthew... Um, Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon is supposed to be Brian Wilson. Well, but he's not. Right. Does Brian exist... Does Brian Wilson exist in this reality? So, in Late Night, Emma Thompson is the longest-running talk show host in history... And she's a fictional character, and then halfway through the film, Seth Meyers shows up. So, is this on some network? Right. I don't guess. That it's weird. It's like you got to pick one. Just pick one. It does another thing that um, Adam and I touched on a little bit last week when we were talking about Never Been Kissed. And Grace of My Heart avoids this pitfall, but it's something that you pointed out when 
Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip was on the air, which is, and it happens a lot, unfortunately, when you get fictionalized comedy in movies. When you say that Emma Thompson is the longest running uh, talk show on the air and her show means so much to so many people and she's the best at it. And then when they show the bits that are like, she's reinvented herself. The show is fresh and funny again. And the bits themselves are not very good. Grace of My Heart avoids this by actually having great songs. She sings a song and it's like, oh my God. Right. Oh, well, Elvis Costello and Burt Bacharach wrote that. We're going to call this Sarah Paulson syndrome. Because <laughs> Nothing Sarah, against Sarah Paulson. Sarah Paulson who's is a great. very talented yeah. actress who I love. But she was given an impossible task. On Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, she was supposed to be like Gilda Radner squared. Everyone loves her. She has more talent than all ten of us. You can't. Right. There's no way. And and I actually felt sorry for her. And that show's problem was that it was supposed to be this great comedy, but then every time you saw part of a sketch, it was awful, which 30 Rock very wisely skirted around. I was just going to bring up 30 Rock because... Before both of those shows premiered, everyone thought Studio 60 was going to be the big hit because of who was, and no one gave 30 Rock a chance. And then, what do you know? 30 Rock was really funny. Say what you want. It was funny. Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip was so far up its own ass. (laughs) It was. There's a quote that Chan and I. Still say, uh, of course they the the two guys, uh, uh, Brad Bradley Whitford and Matthew and, Perry and Matthew Perry have to come up with the cold opening for this week's show, and oh, it's an emergency, and oh, it's made in this big dramatic thing, and then suddenly Matthew Perry says, "Who is the best at skewing pomposity?" And there's a pause. It's Aaron Sorkin wrote the script, but everyone at home is. I don't I don't know. <laughs> and the answer is Gilbert and Sullivan. Yeah. Of course. And they open Why? a late night sketch show with Gilbert and Sullivan. That they and sing. it kills, baby. Oh, it addresses this thing. But in my house, you will sometimes <laughs> hear those words being shouted. Oh my god. Give late night a chance. It's it's better than most things that you might see on Amazon Prime. <laughs> I would agree with that. Uh, my next pick is, uh, it's a horror movie that, uh, was technically made in 2017, played some festivals in 2017, but wasn't released until 2019. Uh, and it is the debut of a writer director named Richard Stringham. It's a movie called Close Calls. Mm. And this is a movie that I think only I am in the bag for, and I haven't yet pinpointed why Erica and I watched it again last night. I think that was now my third time seeing it, and I still can't figure out why I like this movie. Um, it's uh, too slow and over long. It's over two hours long. It's basically a young woman, played by Jordan Phipps, is alone in her house. She's grounded. Uh, she's supposed to be like 16. And a series of bad things happen to her. She's getting prank calls. Strangers are coming to the door trying to attack her. She's taking care of her sick, psychotic grandmother in the attic. Um, And the movie gets progressively weirder. It's like part 80s slasher movie, part 
weird 1970s European Italian horror film from the lighting and the camera work and stuff. So there's obviously all these references that I respond to and the overall vibe of it, vibe of it I just find fascinating. Uh, it was streaming on Amazon Prime, but I, being lazy, not wanting to go downstairs to get my Blu-ray last night, was trying to find it on Amazon Prime. It is no longer streaming oh, there. Um, the making of the film is streaming, which is also very interesting because they had all these – it's a super low-budget movie. Um, and all these things went wrong with the making of the film. But I find it fascinating. I would like to turn more people onto it. And since the beginning of streaming services, and this might even go back to the the original blockbuster in Schaumburg, I've always thought, well, video stores are a thing of the past, but once a streaming service gets something, they should have it forever. They should only ever add things. They should never take and things. And this was only on for a matter of months, like maybe fewer than six months. Maybe I'm not aware of how much bandwidth costs, but... Just add. You know, it's still on Amazon Prime late night. Because. And will be indefinitely. Because that was an Amazon Right, right. My next underrated film, uh, my guess is, is not quite as underrated because I have a feeling it's going to show up on a lot of 10 best lists. But I was surprised how quickly it faded from the conversation and actually how few people have seen it. Uh, The film is called The Farewell. Mm. It's the the film by Lulu Wang with Aquafina, and it is so good. I wanted it to make more money and become more a part of the conversation, and not sort of get sidelined and ghettoized as oh, crazy rich Asians. But this is crazy sad Asians. Um, <laughs> Better title. <laughs> the entire film <laughs> would have made more money. People would have thought it was the sequel. Why isn't there more music? Um, the Farewell could have easily been a Hollywood genre exercise with no surprises, and it almost seems as if the filmmakers wanted to break the mold at every turn. At every point in the film, you expect it to go in one direction that watching Hollywood films your whole life uh, has expected has led you to expect, and it constantly thwarts your expectations. Mm-hmm. Um it's an amazing film that has a lot of small, quiet things to say. And um, I think it's one of the best films of the year, and I don't understand why more people, are, why more people aren't talking about it. I wonder if it will start to get more attention at awards season. Um, I've seen it, you know, on some top ten lists or some, like, honorable mentions, you know. Um, I've seen the actress play the grandmother get nominated for some stuff, not necessarily win any critics' awards. I've seen Aquafina be nominated for a number of critics' awards, not win any. Um, I'm wondering if either of them will get Oscar consideration. I feel like Lulu Wang's screenplay might get some Oscar consideration. Will it be overshadowed by Parasite? Because in some people's minds, mm. we can really only have right. one Asian film right. a year. Right, yeah. I don't know. That's a depressing thought. Right. Because they're both great, yeah, and they're both very different, yeah. Um, I think we agree. Parasite is amazing, yes, and not underrated at all. But obviously, if you haven't seen the farewell, it's more than worth your time. Yeah, it's very good. It's uh, it is on DVD and Blu-ray now, or you can rent it on VOD. But very much worth your time, I think. Um, it's about subject matter that would normally turn me away from the movie but handles it very, very 
well. Right. And I think does such a great job with the central conceit, someone in your family who's elderly um, is dying. Mm-hmm. Do you tell them? Right. And I don't think this involves spoilers, but the film actually makes a case that it might be better to not, which was something of a feat, F-E-A-T, because obviously in the United States, it, it just goes, it just, we would never even consider it because, of course, the doctor would right. would tell her, right. but that's not the way right. it is. Um, a great film and full of ideas. Uh, my next underrated film uh, is one of the year's best action movies uh, in a genre that was mostly overshadowed by the likes of John Wick Chapter 3. <laughs> Rightfully so. I yeah. still think that's the year's best action movie. Uh, it is a smaller action movie. That, it kind of went straight to VOD called Avengement, starring Scott Adkins. And those of you who read the site or listen to the podcast know that I am in the bag for Scott Adkins. I will see anything that Scott Adkins is in. This is one of his best roles. He's a guy who kind of gets set up and sent away to prison by his brother. And prison is very, very bad for him. And he takes a great deal of punishment um, and then comes out and wants revenge. And that's the premise of the movie. Is avengement a word? It is not. <laughs> it is a pretty bad title for a movie. Not the worst title for a movie that will be on this list. Uh, I have a worst titled movie. Um, but it is the action in the movie is unbelievable and incredibly brutal. This is one of those movies that isn't so much about slick choreography as much as it is about wanting you to feel every punch to the face. Um, <laughs> Scott Atkins gets very fucked up. He's disfigured. He has these metal dentures put in. I mean, and he's a really handsome guy, but they just do as much as they can to fuck him up. Similar and, to Winslow Leach in Phantom of the Paradise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Perhaps there's a theme he gets here. the metal teeth. Right. Um, it is, and it's like under 90 minutes. It is uh, a really, really great underrated action film. They're going to use that on the DVD case. It's under 90 minutes. Patrick <laughs> Bromley at this movie. I'll tell you. I've got 90 minutes. Sometimes that factors into what we watch because especially it, at award season, we're it, going through it, screeners. It has to. Everything is two and a half hours long. And the other night, I can't remember what it was. I looked at something. It was a documentary. Oh, it was Honeyland, the documentary about beekeepers in Turkey. Yes. And it was 90 minutes, and I was like, Honeyland, you've got my vote. I'll watch you. And it's very, very good, by the way. Um, not as good as Avengement, <laughs> but there are fewer fist fights in Honeyland, I guess is my point. I was very surprised uh, as the year rolled on. Uh, on In a column a few weeks ago, I opined mm. that Ready or Not might have done better at the box office if they had released it closer to Halloween. I thought it had a great trailer. Yes, I thought did. it had a great concept. As you and Adam were discussing in the column on Monday, uh, Samara Weaving sort of carries the whole thing on her back and gets it past the finish line. But I thought the same thing about Satanic Panic, too, that are we now in a situation where the situation is very dire for these low-budget horror films, even though both of them got a release? Mm-hmm. Ready or not, got a pretty wide release. Yeah, 
Did Satanic Panic play in a lot of theaters? Very limited. It was mostly VOD. Which is a shame, because I would have loved to see Satanic Panic in a movie theater. I did. In your basement on Scary Movie Night, man, it played. Yeah. Of course, we all love horror films. But I sort of put them in the same boat, along with The Furies that premiered on mm-hmm. Shudder, mm-hmm. that these are really superior horror films. You really can't ask for anything more out of a low-budget horror film. And they sort of get lost in the mist. I was really surprised that Ready or Not didn't make more money. The good news is horror movies have a very long life. Longer than a lot of the other movies that we're talking about. Because once some of these movies are gone, they're just gone. Maybe they get discovered on a streaming service and somebody says, Hey, how come nobody told me about this movie? But horror movies live on and on and on and on. Because horror fans are just constantly looking for stuff and finding stuff and rewatching stuff and still talking about stuff. So I suspect... Ready or Not's trailer was so good, I think, that it kind of ruined the movie because there were very (laughs) few surprises in the movie. There's one big surprise, but very few surprises along the way. It was a lot of checking off the beats that I had already seen in the trailer. Yes. Um, I liked Ready or Not. I really liked Satanic Panic. I'm a big, big fan of Satanic Panic, obviously. And this this never occurred to me until just now. But Ready or Not, Satanic Panic, and The Furies have something in common. This is going to be the big horror theme of the 2000s. The rich Mm -hmm. are not nice. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to get up on my soapbox, but all three of those films have something very much to say about class warfare. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Good picks, all of them. Um my next uh, underrated pick is uh, it's a double feature. We'll call it the wrestling double feature. And that is fighting with my family uh, and the worst, worst titled movie on this list, worse than Avengement, the peanut butter Falcon. <laughs> uh, both movies that are very straightforward Again, we, we've we kind of lost sight of movies that are just about telling a story, a very simple story, and telling it well. And both of these movies do that. Wrestling factors very heavily into the plots of both films. Um, really good performances, really solid direction, characters that you care about, uh, a story that you're invested in seeing through to the end. Movies like these, I feel like, are more and more rare. They used to be the norm, and they're more and more rare these days. And so when one comes along, we should support it. Well, I think it's interesting because I actually saw most of Fighting With My Family without sound on an airplane (laughs) of the guy across from me. The way it's meant to be seen. And I think um, at the end of this year, beginning of – well, the beginning of 2020 – I think people are going to circle around and rediscover fighting with my family because of Midsummer and Little Women. Yeah. I think they're going to go back and That's why I did the the Florence Pugh yeah. uh, triple feature. Yeah. The Peanut Butter Falcon turned me off <laughs> when it was first advertised because it's called the Peanut Butter Falcon. And I saw the trailer because Oh, I never saw a trailer for it. Nothing screamed screenwriting exercise Mm -hmm. more than it looks like a a nautical sequel to little miss sunshine (laughs) 
There's a little bit of that. Get characters that couldn't be more different from each other into some sort of vehicle and send them on a journey. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. And it can never be a plane, see Midnight Run, because (laughs) that's too quick and and easy. It has to be a bus or a minivan, or in this case, it's a boat, right? Yes. But you and Adam both liked it. Yeah. Which surprises me. Who's the third corner of the triangle a shale LaBeouf, the kid who wants to be a wrestler dakota johnson there you go yeah and i'm a big fan of hers she's good but and shia LaBeouf is very good everybody i mean everybody's very good it screamed indie film cliche yeah there's a little there is a little bit of that again i went in not even knowing really what it was about but it's uh, worth having seeing. never seen a trailer i think so yeah there were two really superior comedies this year one of them, I think, got the attention it deserved, Booksmart. I still am seeing the remnants of conversation about Booksmart. Yes, but in a more just world, Booksmart would have grossed as much as, say, Good Boys, which it did not. Well, it's interesting that you bring up Good Boys because it's on another list of mine oh, today. okay. They both and, use the same song in the trailer. That's why we'll, I make the comparison. We'll get to Good Boys because I have nothing but contempt for it. Um, Booksmart is so funny in unexpected, difficult ways. Yeah. Good Boys is not funny in ways that um, cynical people would think that, you know, the lower classes, this will play. It seems to choose the most obvious way to be funny. But Longshot came out. Ah, Longshot. And... It's really, really good. Absolutely. It's a superior romantic comedy, and no one seemed to notice. No, it came out at the start of summer and tanked almost immediately. And did it look like other films that disappointed people? Were people getting tired of one or more of the actor shticks? Because if you look at the work Charlize Theron has been doing lately, you pointed out, in the column on Monday, um, her Megan Kelly in Bombshell is one of the only reasons to see that movie. Yeah, yeah. And in Longshot, she accomplishes something interesting. We believe that she's very smart and capable without the usual Hollywood trappings of here's how to show right. that a woman right, right, right. is strong and capable. Right. She is. Right. Um, I had one quibble with Longshot when it gets into unsavory adult territory. Yeah, that's the least the interesting stuff in the movie. But you know what? People masturbate. Let's move on. And it's a Seth Rogen movie. What? And it's a Seth Rogen movie, and you kind of and expect we're that. We're expecting him to <laughs> masturbate. Um, but you agree, Longshot is really, I really, really good. I really liked it. And it came and went. I thought it would have made more money just based on the two stars. I Charlize Theron doesn't really do romantic comedy, uh, so it would be interesting to see her in one. And Seth Rogen movies usually make money, I thought. I was very interested in the premise of seeing those two together. And not to beat a dead horse, but one of the things a romantic comedy is supposed to be, I think, is you take two people who are very different and then convince the audience yes. that... These two people could fall in love. Yes. And Longshot does that right. in spades. Yeah. 
having characters who believably like each other as opposed to, well, they end up together because they're the two movie stars. Or as I've said countless times in my column, well, they have to fall in love. They're the two most attractive people right, in the film. Right. Um, no, Longshot is a really good romantic comedy. And well worth your time. Yeah. Um, what else do I have? I have one that I think is on your list. So I will mention a movie uh, written and directed by Ricky Bates called Tone Deaf, um, which is sort of a two-person black comedy horror movie starring Robert Patrick and Amanda Crew. She plays sort of a millennial who... Um, I'm blanking on the word Airbnb who Airbnb's Robert Patrick's house. And he's this older guy who, and it's very much about this generational divide. Um, but it turns into this crazy horror movie and it's very singular. Um, there's not really another movie like it. It's very interesting to look at. The two performances are really good. Robert Patrick, you know, when he's given good material, is always amazing. He's amazing. I'm thinking of his several episode story arc on The Sopranos, yeah. where he was funny and heartbreaking. He's one of the only things that's interesting in um, Striptease, the Demi Moore film. I don't even remember him in that. Is he her ex? He's her ex-husband who makes a living stealing wheelchairs from hospitals <laughs> and selling them and just this hapless yeah. uh, bald face grifter and um he's so good i i wish he he were cast more he he works a lot but he works a lot in like direct to video stuff and and low budget stuff and so he doesn't always get the the best opportunities when he's given a role like he is in uh, the movie that I just named that I already can't remember. Is Tone Deaf streaming? Tone Deaf, Jesus Christ. Is it streaming? Is it... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, so very limited release. Again, mostly VOD. Um, I'm sure it's rentable. I don't think it's on any of the like subscription streaming services. Because it sounds really, really good. Yeah, no, it's very much worth seeing. So at first, the way you introduced that, I thought that was going to be the one that you thought was on both no, of our lists. No, no. That would not be on both of our lists. I didn't name the other movie I was going to name because I believe it's on your list. Because I spent so much time this year watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood <laughs> over and over and over again. The film that you thought would be on both of our lists is Nancy Drew. Correct. And we actually saw Nancy Drew together with your children, mm -hmm. which was key, and my wife, who might just be the biggest fan of the books. That there ever was. I remember a couple of years ago, she read a book called Girl Sleuth, which is about the history of the Nancy Drew books and how in the 50s they were rewritten ostensibly to make them more modern. But this rewrite that happened in the 50s, they also changed the characters so Nancy was more dependent on her boyfriend, Ned. Oh, good. They made all these social... <laughs> That's not weird at all. No, no, no. It's really weird. <laughs> um, and so, courtesy of my wife, I know a lot about Nancy Drew. And I've said this before, and I think you would agree. Most films for children and young adults are awful. Yes. 
and show what contempt we must have for them in society. Nancy Drew was so good in so many ways. The things about friendship, um, the fact that Linda Lavin shows up and does this little turn, which was delightful, and where has she been? It's the kind of... it's. Uh, for for tweens who are into YA literature, this was this was the equivalent of a really good YA right. book, right. and it was done straightforward. They didn't play. Nancy is back in the fifties, and she does everything like right. the fifties. Right. But and everyone wonders why. You know the whole Brady Bunch. There's a little trope. bit of like this. Nancy drew skateboards, um, but the mystery itself and the way that the characters are treated is is very straightforward. And it was either an article or a column or a podcast or something that we tweeted this year got the attention of the director. Cache, yeah. And the review. And she said, I made this film for yeah. your daughter. Yeah. Which was sweet. And that she was actually impressed. They wound up opening in more theaters than mm-hmm. they originally promised. Mm-hmm. And uh we need more films like it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. And if nothing else, it inspired Erica and I to watch all of Cat Shea's movies, so we got to revisit Stripped to Kill. So you could do a double feature of Stripped to Kill and Nancy Drew in the Hidden Staircase. Now, would the children enjoy Stripped to Kill? So they're not big Greg Evigan fans. <laughs> of the two dads, they prefer Paul Reiser. Mm. Uh, so they sat out Stripped to Kill, but they did like Nancy Drew. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, I'm That's my list, so... Okay, uh, trying to add some oil to the fire here. Do it. Cats has just been so thoroughly shit upon. From the moment the first images were released. And that was in July, if you can believe it, that that trailer came out. And I'm not denying that the trailer is weird and creepy and why would they want to do that. Um, As I said in my column yesterday, for a while... They were thinking about doing it as an animated film, which in the grand scheme of things might have been a better idea. But looking at all the things that are being said about cats on the Twitter machine, and maybe this is my mistake, some of it's just wrong. So, look, they were so uncareful with the special effects that there's Dame Judi Dench's real left hand with her wedding ring. Well, no. Because plenty of the cats in the film don't have special effect nonsense CGI blech, on their hands. They have human hands. And most of them have bare human feet. Now, you might say, well, that's tremendously weird because the rest of them looks like a cat. But that's a decision that they made. I saw the original Broadway production. I don't remember what the actors were wearing on their feet. I know a hallmark of the stage productions is this very elaborate cat getup that theater students throughout the land dream of wearing. That I, my life will be over once I play Rum Tum Tugger or Mungo Jerry. Um, but I think part of it is that it became a convenient thing to make fun of and then everyone piled on. But I think the biggest thing is a lot of people hate musicals. Sure. And if nothing else, Cats is a musical written large. Cats is a film that doesn't give a shit about plot. In fact, the stage play had less plot. And for the movie, they've dreamed up 
this subplot that isn't in the stage production involving kidnapping and a boat. Oh, good. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, it is not without its pleasures. It is not without its charms. It is not a good movie. But it's not worthy of all this derision. And that's why I think it's underrated. Also, have you seen It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood? Not yet. I don't know why people aren't talking about it more, other than Tom Hanks' performance. <clears throat> um, last year, Won't You Be My Neighbor, the documentary, was a sensation mm -hmm. because a lot of people are having a hard time with what living now is like for various reasons. And Won't You Be My Neighbor sort of reminded us, well, there was this one guy who maybe we didn't appreciate when he was doing this amazing show that tried to help children deal with their feelings. But I wish more people would talk about the fiction film because it's very, very good. Very, very good yeah. in a lot of different ways, and I recommend it. I was resistant to it, which is so stupid, but the casting of Tom Hanks, and I love Tom Hanks, but the casting of him as Mr. Rogers just seemed like the most obvious thing that I was like, eh. And I didn't know the backstory until someone tweeted a link to a story in the Atlantic Monthly. As it turns out, the journalist figure in the movie, in the fiction film, is based on Tom Janot, who's most famous, I think, is an Esquire writer. And for a decade, I taught one of his pieces in class and actually talked to him on the phone once because yeah. I had a question for him and I actually got through. And he wrote a long piece in the Atlantic Monthly about the original piece he wrote about Fred Rogers and how they remain friends for the rest of Fred Rogers' life. So that was sort of interesting. It was sort of the sequel to this Tom Hanks film right. in print form. Interesting. Um, he asked them to change all the names because the nature of Janot's relationship with his father was changed drastically in the film. That's all movie magic. Right, okay. That's not really what was going on between him and his dad. But um, it's a serious film that has a lot of things to say about things like forgiveness. That I see a lot of movies. Yeah. Forgiveness is not talked about very much. Mm-hmm. In American film. Mm -hmm. So I thought that alone sort of qualified as it. How'd you like something a little different tonight? All right. Maybe we could be better about forgiving people. <laughs> uh, so that's a lot of good movies and cats uh, for you to check out. And once you've run through the other 10 good movies. Really, you will, you will be rewarded seeing all those films. And now we're going to pick up the pace because we don't want to pile on. Right. And we certainly don't want to fall into a syndrome that used to be really prevalent in our columns. That sometimes, some of us, would go on and on about, maybe this is just me. <laughs> I don't think it's just me, though. I would go on and on about how bad something was. Yeah. And inevitably, the comment would be, well, this makes me want to see it. Right. So is this... This tastes like shit. Here, yeah, taste mean. it and tell me what you think. <coughs> yeah, there were certainly some people once all the piling on of cats started happening and all that. This movie's crazy and you can't believe it. And this is the year's worst movie. A lot of people were like, oh, now I got to see it. And I have to admit, that's one of the things 
that drove me to see it, although what really drove me to see it was I suspected that I would be the only F this movie person to go. Right. Um, and I thought it would enliven our conversation. Um, it's certainly not one of the worst movies of this year. No. I, oh, far from it. My resistance to it is because I saw half of a production of Cats once, and I just did not like the music. And If, if you do not like musicals, for the two reasons that most people don't like musicals, in real life, people don't sing and dance. That doesn't bother me. And I would like more of a narrative, and I, I, it's frustrating to me when the narrative stops so that people can sing and dance. This film will drive you nuts. <laughs> I think what you said is fascinating because that's one thing the show has in its favor. And I'm not the biggest fan of its music either, but there's at least three songs that are really good. Mm -hmm. And maybe one of them is only good because you've heard it so sure. many times. I only know times. the one like from memory. In fact, I don't... Uh, yeah, I wasn't, but okay. <laughs> I see what you <laughs> I don't remember them singing it twice on the stage it's in the movie twice. well sure and uh taylor swift wrote a new song sure that you get to hear the lead character sing and it's very pretty and then stay through the end credits of course you're gonna want to hear taylor swift sing it and they you. always do the thing where they write the new song because they want oscar consideration right and and the minute i found that out well, I'm sure writing a song with Andrew Lloyd Webber has got to be fun, but this is her bid at EGOT. Right. I I don't see her winning an Oscar for something else. But I mean, you, who you knows? Know. Yeah. She, she's an acting wonderkind. Right. And next year, um, she uh, does a turn in Cats 2. <laughs> Perhaps. That's heralded. So now we're going to talk about films that are overrated, and by that... Uh, by and large, these are films that a lot of people like. On my list, these are films that some people like. Yeah. That leave me scratching my head. Yeah. I've only got two. Oh, my God. Yeah. Should I make my list shorter? No, it's fine. Again, because this is sort of uncomfortable territory for me, I was trying not to make my list very long. Because for the most part, if I don't like something, I don't like something, and you're free to like it. And that's true of these two movies. But I had seen these show up on a lot of top ten lists. And one movie was just very divisive the minute it came out. Um, my first pick uh, is the follow-up to It Follows by David Robert Mitchell. And it's a movie called Under the Silver Lake, mm. which I saw show up on a lot of top ten lists. But even those people, I think, were very quick to say, hey, this movie's not for everyone. This is a big, sprawling mess. And it's a movie that I think is designed to only connect with maybe a third of the people who see it. A lot of comparisons to something like Southland Tales, which we know I'm a big fan of Southland Tales. This movie was not Southland Tales for me. Uh, it, it, it's I, I can see interesting ideas. I can see good filmmaking on display. It didn't connect with me. I just saw the big sprawling mess without falling in love with it. Again, nobody's wrong for liking it. It just didn't work for me. Another another DVD box quote here. It's not Southland Tales. <laughs> Patrick Bromley, F this movie. Everyone loves Little Women. Oh, geez. And I know why. <laughs> okay. It's a beloved story. Yeah. There's multiple film versions of it. 
our very own Adam Risky is very fond of the 1994 version. And it is a book beloved by my wife. And so, much like Nancy Drew, I know a lot more about Little Women than I have any right to. And I watched it with an open mind because I wanted to like it. And there was a lot in it to like, especially the performances. But I have two quibbles about Little Women that pretty much ruin the film for me. One of them is tiny. The film is told achronologically. Uh, the book is not. And I would like someone in the comments to explain to me what that movie gains by going out of order. Was it just a function of what's going to differentiate my adaptation from other adaptations? I don't think I'm spoiling anything because the book is very old and very beloved. But the one place where I thought the A chronology that you can make a case that it works is that a character comes downstairs to a reality and then we jump timelines and then they come downstairs to a very different reality in the house. And so she's contrasting good times and bad times. Other than that, I don't get it. Other than right. this ain't your mother's <laughs> little women. We don't have to go in order. Um, and my other objection is much more than a quibble because I think it gets to the heart of what attracts me to the story in the first place. Much like the work of Jane Austen, Little Women is largely concerned with finding a spouse. A lot of the plot revolves around that. And um, for her entire life, the character of Joe March has this flirty friendship, brotherly relationship with Laurie, but ultimately decides that she does not want to marry him for a number of reasons. Primary among them, she she's not in love with him. And so the character of Joe March winds up marrying someone quite a bit older and not conventionally attractive mm. because they share so much personality-wise and psychologically. He's mm -hmm. a teacher. They have discussions. He's the only one who's honest with her about her, her early yeah. uh, attempts at fiction. Yeah. They have this bond. In the 94 version, it's Gabriel Byrne. Right. And for some reason, and I would like someone to explain this to me, the Greta Gerwig Little Women cast someone who, while not Timothy Chalamet, is a heartthrob in his own right sure. and at least 20 years younger than the character is in the book. And I'm wondering, is this to differentiate it or does someone think that young people today would find the professor character creepy probably. or something? Yeah, probably. It just... <clears throat> I am an older, unattractive man. Little Women gives me hope. <laughs> Little Women might explain why my wife married me. Why do you want to change? Yeah. That's one of the points of the book. I don't think I'm going out on a limb here, and I do not understand why they did that. Yeah. One of the things I did like about Little Women, aside from it looks very beautiful and the performances, as you mentioned, are all very the good. The recreation of the past is amazing. Meryl Streep steals every scene she's in. <sighs> you thought it was a little too. I, every time Meryl Streep shows up in a movie now, she's doing that. You know what I mean? Did you like it's, Bob Odenkirk? It was so jarring. Yeah. I'm still trying to wrap my head around. <laughs> like, really? That's, that's and what they I, went with? I really liked um, Chris Cooper. 
because uh, Chris Cooper has two big parts this year. Yeah. One of which is in It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Okay. And one of which is in Little Women, and he's much better in Little oh, Women. Oh, all right. Um, one of the things that I liked about it is that I felt like all the performances felt contemporary without the movie having to contemporize everything, without the movie taking place in modern times and without, again, having Nancy Drew skateboard. Roger Ebert always said, you know, the characters in period movies don't know they're in a period movie, so why are they acting the way that they do? And I thought this movie avoided a lot of those pitfalls. I thought Florence Pugh, I thought Timothy Chalamet, I thought their performances felt very modern without while still being true to the time period in which the movie is set, which I think is a really hard thing to pull off. I also really like Tracy Letts. He's becoming my favorite character <laughs> actor. Um, wonderful in every scene in Little Women, and he's also in Ford versus Ferrari as Dawn of Justice as Henry Ford Jr. Yeah, and he's so good in both of those films. Just Absolutely wonderful. Yeah, he's great. And he wrote Killer Joe, so he will always... Uh... And August, Osage County. Good no, I, which I'm I never saw. I'm guessing you could retire on those royalties. Yeah. I mean, from the stage play. Right, right, right. What a wonderful decision the film made. We're going to make it an hour shorter. <laughs> uh, my other pick for overrated, again, is not overrated to at least half the people who saw it. And that is Joker. And Joker is a movie that is making 10 best lists that I, I was at the Chicago Film Critics dinner. I was sitting next to a group of critics who were going on and on about how much they like it and how great it is. It just didn't work for me. I thought it was a teenager painting his room black. I agree. It looks it's very technically well made. Joaquin Phoenix is great as always. There's all kinds of good things I can say about it. I did not like the movie. My son, whose taste I trust, keeps wondering why I haven't gone. And he really liked it. So He really liked it. Um, I think what scared me away was a screenwriter who I follow on Twitter, and I, I love her tweets so much, uh, Carol Avery Grant, said, you know those movies that are popular as posters in college yeah. boy dorm rooms? The Joker was back-engineered from a dorm poster. <laughs> There's a little bit of that. <laughs> um, clearly, a film that had such a conversation around it is one that I should see. And yeah. I will eventually see it, but I don't think it was for me. I've seen Taxi Driver. I've seen The King of Comedy. Yeah. I don't need to see Joker. Um, Blinded by the Light and Yesterday seem to be cut from the same cloth. Erica just brought both of these movies up last night because we missed both of them at the Chicago Critics Film Festival. How can we make... A musical that's not cats. And um, <laughs> fewer cats. Both of them are bad, but both of them are bad in very, very different ways. Uh, Blinded by the Light is sort of processed cheese food. It's There's nothing unique about it. The minute it starts, you know where it's going. Well, you said it's Bend it like it's Beckham. It's Bend them right? like Beckham. It, instead of a soccer ball, it's Bruce Springsteen. They kick Bruce Springsteen around for <laughs> an hour and a half. Yesterday Very is, cool of him to sign on for that. Yesterday is different. Uh, because sure, you can kick me around. <laughs> Growing up in Jersey, I got kicked around a lot. <laughs> there is more entertainment and honesty in his 22nd cameo in High Fidelity <laughs> than there is in the entire film of Blinded by the Light. 
blinded by the light is very frustrating. Yesterday, on the other hand, at least there's pleasant covers of Beatles songs. No. And I like the Beatles, but it gets so lost in its own premise um, that it's just this empty exercise. Although, and I think this has, this has more to do with me than with normal film goers, <laughs> um, there's a scene where the main character uh, tracks down John Lennon. And because this is an alternate reality, he wasn't assassinated and he's living um, off the coast of England. And that scene, I just thought, was amazing because I think that's what the whole film should have been about Mm -hmm. when you choose to take a different path. And that scene was full of ideas that the rest of the film didn't really seem interested in pursuing. Okay. Um, So to the extent that anyone liked Blinded by the Light or Yesterday, I'm mystified by that, and so that's why I say they're overrated. All right. Any others? Well, the last one I wanted to specifically ask you about, because you're the Stephen King expert. Sure. It, Chapter (laughs) 2. Yeah? I didn't like nearly as much as the first one. You are not alone. I thought the first one was kind of amazing yes. for a number of reasons. Yes. And Bill Hader aside, Bill Hader is, again, not that he was ever off my radar, but between Barry and have you seen Noel? Yes. He's very entertaining in Noel. Sure. He's not given much to work with. I wasn't crazy about Noel. But Santa's son, who moves to Arizona and becomes a yoga instructor, I'll watch that. <laughs> I'll watch that. I've... I've I have the Christmas holidays, but um, for whatever reason, it chapter two really didn't seem to be as good or cohesive as the first one. Did did is that what you thought, or just that what you've been hearing? So uh, both. Um, I liked it a lot. I don't like it as much as the first one, um, and I will admit to liking the mess. And it's a mess. Here's a, here's an instant. You know, under the Silver Lake didn't like the mess. It chapter two, I like the mess. It has the same problem as the TV miniseries, which was the first half with the kids is really good. And then the second half with the adults, what happened? It doesn't work. And it's amazing to me that this movie made many of the same mistakes and perhaps speaks to the source material that maybe this isn't as easy to adapt. Um, Some choices that were baffling, some performances that I'm not crazy about. Overall, I liked it for just how big and weird it is Mm -hmm. Um, but i would agree it's not as good as the first half and again maybe all i'm responding to is the fact that um, the first movie was really really good and it's a tough act to follow yeah yeah that's definitely true and that is my overrated list all right which brings us to the ugly and in the words of a former boss I never got along with this guy, but I really need to give him credit because I don't think a month goes by where I don't think uh, we were both on the board of the school's literary magazine, which means we were tasked with reading all of the submissions, hundreds (laughs) of student poems that we had, and we had to decide what actually got published. And I think out of the hundreds that were sent in, it was a case of maybe less than 10% actually making the the literary anthology. So 
it was a daunting task. And when we finally sat down with the rest of the editorial board to share scores and hash it out, he said, when I finished doing this, I was a little less alive. Yeah. And so I, I felt about these films. Do you have ugly films? I do. I only have two. Again, I, I didn't see as many movies in a theater as you this year. And the ones that I saw and didn't like, I just quickly forgot. I think these are worth singling out. Um, and I'll do my two and then you could do yours uh, for different reasons. The first is Hellboy. And I pointed out because I'm a fan of Neil Marshall. I like his movies a lot. I'm a fan of David Harbour on Stranger Things. I think mm. he's good casting for Hellboy. I'm a fan of the source material. I liked Guillermo del Toro's two Hellboy movies. Um, I never read the comic. Um, but almost from the outset, it's a doomed movie. It, it almost doesn't work immediately and then only gets worse from there. Uh, so it's a movie filled with, I think, compromised choices. I think this was a movie where there was a lot of production problems and a lot of studio meddling uh, that resulted in something that I think is just flat out bad. And the other ugly movie that I mentioned is one that's very competent, but which I think is so representative of of an unfortunate trend in filmmaking right now, which is, you know, film as corporate product. I did not see The Lion King, but I did see Aladdin, and Aladdin is barely a movie. It's 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 a show that you go see at Disney World because it's raining and you want to go inside. <laughs> um, it is lifeless. It does nothing for the material. It adds one new song, again, for Academy consideration, and because, well, shouldn't Jasmine get a song? Um Will Smith as the genie is baffling. Uh, it is a movie where I felt like it just lays on screen dead the entire time. But gosh, it made a billion dollars. They're money machines. Yes. I saw Aladdin um, the same way I saw I saw Aladdin on a plane. The guy it's next meant to, to me. be watched. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fighting with my family. Right. Yeah. And with the sound off. Was it the same guy? No, this oh. was two different flights. I did a lot of traveling in 2019. <laughs> and um, all of the Will Smith stuff, it was like they gave the special effects crew monster energy drink or like someone was terrified that there'd be a nanosecond where someone in the audience would be bored or something he was saying would not be translated right. by shit around his head right. or something he was transforming into. And certainly... That's in the Robin Williams animated performance, but not to the fervid uh, well, degree. The thing is, it's organic to the Robin Williams performance because of who Robin Williams was as a performer an and film. because it's an animated film. And so they're like, well, we got to capture that again. And trying to capture what Robin Williams did is very, very difficult. Will Smith is also not the guy to do it. So there's a lot of mistakes being made. Um Hiring Guy Ritchie to make this movie <laughs> makes no goddamn they, sense they to me. They sort of ramped up the oh sure the the genie nonsense. Yes, it is a movie that is like the definition of dead behind the eyes, uh, and it is again, as I said, a very unfortunate trend right now. Disney remaking all its films as live action films. Having said that, I think Mulan looks really interesting. We saw the trailer for that when we went to see Star Wars, yeah. and uh, I I turned to my son, because now we're talking about the period of time where he was going to movies as a youngster, and I said, um, 
You think Mushu's going to be in that one? <laughs> it's like they decided to make it a movie. Right. Instead of just... I have a feeling those songs aren't going to show up. <laughs> right. Although, mark my words, in the score... Oh, it's in the trailer. Uh, yeah. I'll make a man out yeah, of yeah, you. Yeah. Um, Good Boys suffers from this... Um, uh, Seth Rogen had something to do with Good Boys, right? I believe so, but I could be wrong. On some level. Him and Evan Goldberg, I think, maybe produced it. I compare Good Boys to Sausage Party. They're very much of a piece. And for the first half hour, they're funny. And, okay, it's a little raunchy, but it's it's very funny, and I'm laughing. But after 20 minutes, it gets so oppressively raunchy and obsessed with its own raunch, especially Sausage Party, where it's like, how far can we stretch this? That it ultimately becomes, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Exhausting. And in Good Boys, there's this bullshit, wholesome theme poured over the whole Mm, thing. Trying to have it both ways. That really doesn't mix. And... um, I thought it was a mess, and I think it's the movie I came close to walking out of. Oh. I haven't walked out of a movie since In Search of Ancient Astronauts when I was 12. Nice. I don't walk out. No, I don't either. I'm there for the duration. Um, But Good Boys was ugly. Uh, I've talked on the podcast and in a column about Supervised, which is (laughs) some sort of tax dodge for somebody it actually played in a theater, which yeah. is the only reason I went. How could you not uh, go to see this? I've gone to some of those. It's about superheroes in an old age home, and it's just the the definition of sad. <laughs> and then there were films that I went to see, <clears throat> and then three months passed, or maybe four, and they showed up on cable. They would show up on the guide, and I would say... What's that? Should I watch that? Because I completely forgot that I had seen oh, them wow. in a theater. Mary, Queen of Scots, oh, the yeah, unsuccessful no. attempt to get Margot Robbie and Shirley Ronan awards of some sort was one of these films. That's one of those movies where I just see the poster and I, I quietly can say to myself, I never have to see that. It's really bad. The costumes were nice. And then Tolkien... Which, oh, why did you see Tolkien? Because my lovely wife is a fan of the Lord of the Rings books. Just watch those at home. And maybe this will be something, but it's almost like they fed every biopic ever made into a computer. You could tell by the trailer that that was, I mean. And it's just, he did this, and that inspired this, and then he did this, oh, and that boy. inspired this. And it's just, it's by the numbers, and it's bad. I don't mean to upset anyone, but I had a very strange reaction to Ad Astra when I saw it. I wanted to like it, but I thought it was odd and cold and weird. Those are all things that I liked about it. And it didn't it 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 struck me as being way too much like a whole bunch of other films that have come out in like the last 5 years where ultimately space travel leads us to problems with our dad. Yeah, that's the – so this came very close to making my underrated list um, because I saw a trailer and it looked like Sad Dad Space Movie. And then I watched the movie and for at least half, it's not that. It's, oh, no. 
I'm I'm on board for the first half. It's it's laser guns on the moon and, and it's thought, monkeys attacking and, thought, and I'm like, what the fuck is this and I movie? Thought Brad Pitt was really good, but then what cemented this, and I recommend that all of you read it, is Bill Hunt, who uh, runs the website The Digital Bits, yeah. is a space and science fanatic, and Ad Astra troubled him deeply and offended him because apparently. None of the science in Ad Astra is real. It doesn't work in any way, shape, or form that it's risible if you know anything about real space exploration and science. And maybe as a movie, Which that Which I don't, be, yeah, right? so it, I don't care. But his objections to the film were so fundamental yeah. um, that that was sort of the final nail in the coffin. It left me cold. And then I read this article, and that's why I'm saying it's ugly. And it completely, unfortunately, becomes Sad Dad Space Movie. And yes. the back half of the movie is so much less interesting to me. Although I think where it lands is noteworthy, and Brad Pitt gives this final speech that I think is really good. Um, I liked a lot more of it than I didn't. That's interesting. This was almost on my underrated list, and it's on your ugly list. Uh, You're a monster. Men in Black International. Didn't see it. Nothing. Life's too short. Nothing needs to be said. Um, Sony had an IP. It's it's a nightmare of a film. It goes in the time capsule with Aladdin. It's part of this shitty trend. Sit down tonight. All right. And write three sentences of what you think the movie is (laughs) and send them to me. But you know what? You don't have to send them to me <laughs> because the three things you wrote, that's what it is. All right. Um, I wrote at length about Serenity. <laughs> I um, knew this would be on the list. The most batshit crazy thing I've seen this year. And some people are going because they want that yeah, batshit right, experience. Right, right. And I even wrote this in my end of the year favorite moments that the minute I wrote about Serenity – I just waited for people to come to the film's defense and start championing it. It it defines batshit crazy. It's just it's it's a twist. The film has a twist that M Night Shyamalan would be embarrassed <laughs> to to pull off on unsuspecting audiences. I haven't seen the movie, but I lived it through this text thread that Adam Risky was sending me. And each new text, I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. And then he would write, oh, I'm not done. And then he would tell me more about what happens in the movie. And I couldn't believe what he was telling me. So he me. went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm assuming he's, he's telling you the plot. Yes. So for the first 45 minutes, nothing makes any sense. And you're like, this better be good. <laughs> and when they flip it, you're... It's bananas because, no, boy, you would not have no, seen that coming from the trailer. You, no. And, but and some people are going to like it for that reason, and and, and that, which one of the first comments on my column about Serenity was, and I I have to talk around this because I don't want to give it away. Yeah. I am very much into this. Okay, and so that's why I liked it. I don't think you can necessarily explain it away then as being a good movie but this happens to me sometimes when i watch like 70s exploitation movies and stuff it's like well i've never seen that movie before and therefore i like it there was stuff in ad astra when the monkey started attacking i was like i'm on board i didn't see this coming so i think there are people who it's enough of a surprise and enough of a what the fuck that they'll be like well i got my money's worth 
And finally, yeah, I don't think there was another movie this year that I was looking forward to more than The Dead Don't Die. Oh. And I guess some people found it entertaining. Yeah. I thought it was lazy. I thought it was dumb. Low energy. I thought but it's it was, a Jim Jarmusch movie. Although so. that's part of the <laughs> shtick. That's right. Um, the minute Adam Driver reveals that he's read the script... Yeah. I'm out. Yeah. And yet I didn't walk out. No. Stayed through it, even though they play that goddamn song mm. eight or is this is this a disguised promo? I that was the joke of the, the movie. Yeah. Um look at that cast. Yeah. And look what they did with it. Just them. the promise of, hey, Jim Jarmusch is doing a zombie movie. I'm on board, and yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it's a mess. It's disappointing and ugly. Yeah, unfortunately. The good news is, next week we'll be back. Yes, with three top ten lists. Yes, that are exactly the same, except for the placement. A of the little shuffling, phone. but probably not that different. We put our lists on shuffle this year. <laughs> so you'll get 10 whole new recommendations as opposed to, you know, usually it's like 25 or 30. This year you'll get 10. Well, and at this point, if we could just have a moment of silence. I miss when Doug did the top 10 because Doug doing the top 10. It's like Serenity. You don't know what you're going to get. Would give us 35, <laughs> 35 of something, not necessarily movies. Yeah. Uh, maybe 35 really good jokes. Yeah. Anyway, thank you guys for listening. Thanks for doing this, JB. It's always fun. <laughs> uh, as always, go to fthismovie.com every day for cool shit. Go to our Twitter, at fthismovie. Like us on Facebook. Rate, review, subscribe. And iTunes, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to us. Um, uh, what else? Oh, you can email us at fthismoviepodcast at gmail.com. I think that's all the business. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Movie Year. Thanks for listening to FS Movie.